My son was watching it. He was like, this is weird, Dad. And I was like, yeah, I know. Nicole used to want to marry him. <laughs> Hi, you strangers. And welcome to Half-Ass History, the podcast where two embarrassingly unqualified people teach you about a topic. Get ready for some mildly incorrect information and a lot of side tangents. Welcome to Half-Ass History. I am Cola, and this is my brother, Matt. How's it going? And we're going to teach you about some things very poorly, and we'll probably get a million things wrong, and you'll be screaming at your phones or computers or whatever you're listening to, being like, that's not right. We know. We don't care. (laughs) Yeah. That's why it's called Half-Ass History. (laughs) Yeah, and, and all we're doing is sparking an interest for you to go find out if we're wrong or do your own research. There you go. Please send angry tweets. Please. Please let us know Please. when we're wrong. I can't wait. Maybe maybe we should do that more. Is just give out totally false information. <laughs> Try to go viral with people being very angry about all of the wrong information. Absolutely. We'll just call it like fake news history or there something. There you go. Fantastic. That was actually something somebody pitched me for, um, like the title. They were like, maybe just call it fake news. <laughs> I was like, well... We're not trying to be incorrect. We're just doing a very lazy job of researching things and not checking our sources at all. Like I just Googled articles and the first ones that pop up, I'm pulling information from. (laughs) I'm not double checking their validity. Not at all. No, I'm not looking at anyone's references, you know, their, their, their notes or anything. I don't, I don't care. I'm not looking at the URL. It might, it might actually be from the onion. I wouldn't potentially miss that i don't know (laughs) oh the good old onion bless those people now why don't you teach me something because you said it was a good topic this week and you're excited so let's hear it i don't know if it's a good topic for everybody else but this is a good topic for me and that at least like during my research i was able to find a lot of interesting things i just picked sort of a an interesting idea about history that was pretty much universal that man was just and there were so many side tangents to it i had a real hard time like keeping it sort of condensed and like on topic okay so the topic that i picked was sort of the history of like bathing and hygiene Mm. so sort of a a general thing right Mm -hmm. so you've heard of uh and you probably more associate this as like a roman thing with like bathhouses okay yeah right Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, sort of our Western idea of like bathhouses always goes back to to Rome. Okay, I didn't know that, but okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, okay. So I I think in general, that's what people think when when I say like bathhouses Mm -hmm. is either modern day San Francisco or um, (laughs) yes, uh, ancient Rome. One of the two. Yes, that's I mean, that that is what I think of as well. But I didn't I didn't know that like, like the Romans is where we like, I didn't know it kind of originated there. Like, we owe it to them. So, And maybe it's not originated. Well, okay. Teach me. <laughs> and it's really not. But that's, I, I feel like if you say that, that's what most people associate with. And, and it could just be my thing. Mm-hmm. Because public bathing was sort of a thing. And it, it goes back to, like, ancient uh, Egypt. Okay. There's evidence of, like, public baths being around. These public baths were normally heated. And especially in like Roman times, they would have this sort of stone or concrete bath 
that was public it was very large a bunch of people could attend at once but underneath it especially in rome they would have fires lit under the the stone or the concrete okay. and that would keep the bath warm okay. right either that or they would have the water um heated up in some sort of a a, a cauldron before and then fed into these public baths um so the, the baths were like kept warm okay and that was more of a Roman thing. Okay. Uh, but it, it certainly didn't start with that. And uh, I'll just kind of jump ahead a little bit here. We sort of have this idea of like Romans being like more clean and sophisticated. And then 500 to 1,000 years later, the dark or middle or medieval ages, we sort of have this idea of like people being dirty and gross. Yeah. And it, it's not as clean or sophisticated. There's all sort of like differing kind of evidence of that. When I was taught history in high school and before, like the Middle Ages were very dirty and the Roman Ages were a little bit more eh, cleaner. Yeah. Right? So Rome is like 500, maybe 500 BC to like 500 AD, basically like a thousand years. Um, okay. Pretty much the height of Rome was around around 100 bc to 500 a.d and then like the middle ages were like 500 a.d to a thousand a.d and and even sometimes they consider the middle ages up to like the 13th or 14th century a.d okay it's yeah so but we consider the roman time to be cleaner than like the middle ages it wasn't necessarily true and nowadays Historians will tell you, like, the Middle Ages were actually, like, pretty clean, like, uh, around par of what we can, what the Roman times would be. Do you think part of that is due to just, like, how it's always been represented? Because when I think about, like, the Romans, I'm like, oh, they're in, like, pretty white gowns and everything's marble and it's yes. clean and white and beautiful. And then you say, like, <laughs> the Middle Ages and I'm like, people are in armor and it's dirty and they live in, like, right. yeah, gross stone castles that are just, like you have dirt for a floor so absolutely so i think it's more like hollywood that has uh sort of an influence on that sort of thing they really have um and so sort of like modern day historians are trying to give this idea of like no the middle ages were actually not that dirty Mm. but with the kind of research that i've done the middle ages were still pretty dirty and the roman ages were still pretty dirty like there really wasn't like necessarily much difference it it pretty much was determined on the region that you lived okay did they have a bathhouse and also were you a city dwelling person or more of a rural farmer dwelling person obviously like if you lived more rural there was no bathhouse to go to but here's the thing, you would just go into a river or a lake or a pond, right? And sure. if you felt dirty, you would be like, well, I'm just going to like jump in there with my, with all my clothes off. Sure. Yeah, sure. Whereas like if you lived in a city, there might be an area where like a bunch of people could go together and go into a bathhouse, but was really that any No, that's, that cleaner? seems dirtier, much dirtier. Heated, in a way, right? heated up water that multiple people have been in and yep. have been cleaning themselves in. N- exactly. No Here's also the thing, like they 
gave like natural perfumes usually it was just like flowers and things like that but like all these oils from the flowers and sort of like perfumes would gather there was no chlorine or anything that like we would consider to like keep things antimicrobial and whatnot that wasn't a deal and by the way they weren't constantly like purging this water and bringing new water and like no you were trying to heat up the water keep it nice so this was closer to like stagnant water i suppose if it got bad they would drain it bring some new stuff in heat it up it would take a while but you didn't want to do that right so you would constantly have more stagnant water that was full of like body oils and dirt and all these weird perfumes that they were using so it'd probably like have a film on top of it oh my gosh i'm i like already want to rip off all of my skin and we're like five minutes into you talking so (laughs) this will be great so so you have to kind of consider like which was better being a rural person or being a city person a city person would be like more able to deal with other people's filth than a rural person but a rural person at the same time they're going into rivers and streams and lakes and ponds but that's only really viable in like warmer months in the winter time oh, you're not yeah. gonna want to hop into like a freezing lake or something right like it's just not gonna happen like rivers are usually from snow runoff they're yeah. very cold so you can imagine in the winter time if they're not frozen over winter, uh, if they're not frozen over rivers, they're still going to be very cold. So you're going to be like, nah, I'm okay, bro. I'm going to choose to believe that the people that lived in the rural areas during the winter would then bring back water and like heat it up and use that to bathe, like you see in movies. That's what I'm going to stick with. That's in my brain that those people were cleaner because. The idea of like a communal bathhouse makes me literally want to like rip off my skin. Most of the time, whether you were city or rural, people would bring uh, um, water in from wherever they could get it. Mm -hmm. And they would keep it in bins or tubs or whatever. It wasn't a big enough tub to actually bathe in. But pretty regular people wash their hands. Hmm. They wash their face. They wash their feet. Really? So they were able. Yeah, absolutely. So they were able to eat dinner and feel clean. Their face would feel clean. Now the rest of them would probably be terrible, but it, at least they were able to take care of the things that they were eating food with or you know, make their face feel clean. But in sort of the city area, if you could, you would go to a public bath. Um, they would give you like flowers or something that were right. really naturally floral. There really wasn't the idea of like perfumes that we have today that right. are like, concentrated and yeah it was basically just an idea of giving you something that was kind of had a good scent people would often walk around with like wreaths of flowers around their neck to like try to have some sort of deodorant value to that you don't really see many pictures of it from like um, what we consider like pictures from antiquity but it was actually very common that you would have some sort of like flowery wreath around your neck or around your waist or something. <laughs> people are very dirty whether it was in rome or middle middle ages yeah so you can have the debate as to like who was cleaner roman society or middle-aged society whatever basically by modern standards they were all very dirty yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. No, thanks. Uh, see, and when people are always like, oh, but the golden age of things. No, no. Now is great. I can look back and appreciate these things. I can watch movies and documentaries about them. I don't need to live in that time period where things are disgusting. I'm very content in the 21st century where everything is super easy for me. <laughs> What's funny is like, yeah, it's super easy. We're definitely very cleaner than everybody else. The idea of like indoor plumbing and indoor sewage. Oh, oh man, like incredible. I know. But in 500 years, like we'll be considered just as nasty as like Romans or Middle Eastern times. Like they'll be like, why didn't they have that? Like uh, people are gross. <laughs> Probably. And I'll go into that a little bit later, and it's just sort of my own little theories and stuff. But So um, they would often, in public baths, use some sort of perfumes. Mm -hmm. And from my, like, little bit of research here, there's sort of, like, conflicting articles and opinions on perfumes. Okay. We know for sure, like, the modern-day idea of, like, perfume, like, concentrated oils of certain things. Right you know, either suspended in oils or alcohols. That didn't really originate till like the 700s. Oh, okay. Uh, AD. Okay. Um, and that's only in the Middle East. And like hundreds of years later, it came into like Western and Eastern Europe. But sort of the ideas of perfumes, like I read <laughs> that perfumes weren't really used to like mask odors. Oh. It, but if you specifically, so if you look it up in like the public bath idea, it's like, oh, well, people weren't like using perfumes to like cover up it and use them as deodorants. But if you specifically look up perfumes, then the idea is like, oh, yeah, people were using perfumes to mask odors. So <laughs> it's okay. very conflicting reports. It's It's kind of, kind of weird. So... Like huh. anything, if you delve deeper into history, you often realize really nobody has any idea yeah. about anything. Sure. <laughs> They're like, one time we found one letter from one person and it said something. And then 400 years later, we found another letter from another person that said something else. So like, it's a dice roll. No one knows. It's kind of a dice roll. And also like someone wants to make a name for themselves so they like really delve deep into stuff and they're like hey like i overturned this whole idea of like everything right. like look what i found like i really feel like that's sort of the modern day idea of historians is to try to make a name for yourself and yeah. overturn these somewhat ancient ideas that we have about things i don't know if it's a good thing and then sort of everybody takes that as gospel at that point yeah. and and like i said when i was growing up in high school like the middle ages were considered much dirtier than the roman and bronze age peoples mm -hmm. were and it's sort of like dumber and whatnot like we call them the dark ages for a reason because people sort of had a different idea of hygiene mm -hmm. and science and everything like it was sort of like a suppressed area in history not to mention like the dark ages were literally darker some people oh, yeah. believe it was because there was um a vault there was a lot of volcanic activity at that point which literally like blocked sun in the atmosphere right and it was literally darker than at other times in history <laughs> that's debatable as well but it certainly is fairly interesting why they call it the dark ages 
Yeah. Well, and I feel like, uh, I feel like too, with like the Romans and everything, it's like, oh, there's going to be great philosophers that come out of this period and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, so smart. But like, you don't hear about anything like that with the Middle Ages. Like, I don't know any Middle Age or yeah, well, Middle Age philosophers. That sounds interesting. So, right. Yeah. So Middle Age philosophers would have been like priests. Right. More specifically, like almost exclusively priests. Yeah. And so you can find some stuff like that, but they're not considered philosophers in the classical sense. And they're not known. And also in Rome, they're not known. Like, the, and they're just not known as philosophers. They're known as priests. So it sort of has a different context to it, even though if you really look at it, they were philosophers. It was just a lot more religiously based. Now, Roman times had very little philosophers, as we would call it. It was more like classical Greek times right. where the philosophers came to. And that's like 500 AD where you have um, Socrates, right. Plato. I feel like those always these, get looped together, too. Like in my mind, like the Greeks and the Romans, do, it's like they kind of like I couldn't tell you much about either of their histories. But to me, I'm like, yeah, like. Same time frame, like whatever. The past, I don't know. They all get thrown together in my brain. Absolutely. And and ancient Greece sort of goes back to almost 1000 BC, like not quite, but pretty much. And then around like 500, 500 BC is where the Greek Empire sort of like decline. The Italian, they weren't called Italians then, but the Italian Romans were sort of the new emerging empire at that time they took over greece and most of the other world you know as the centuries continued but that started around 500 bc okay um and they sort of bar they stole all the greek gods named them as their own right but it was the exact same religion yep yeah they're like hey this sounds good yeah we'll just take this yeah i got i got taught about like the, the greeks and the romans and everything and you're just like yeah this is like the same thing though <laughs> it's exactly the same thing they took the same dudes and just gave them roman names yeah. so yeah right. so i forget where that whole thing started but it was um, me sorry <laughs> But uh, basically that started with like the idea of perfumes and the idea that perfumes were not the same as they are today. They would just toss a bunch of flowers, fragrant flowers in these bathhouses and you would have that. So you could imagine these bathhouses without chlorine with tons of people bathing in them. There would just be these oils accumulating from body oils and flour and fragrant oils. Like just, it would be like a film on top. Plus, you're like heating it up, (laughs) and you can just imagine how gross this stuff would be. I'm trying my best not to because I'm gonna have a breakdown in the middle of this podcast if I keep trying to think about it. But you have to imagine, like. Especially if you're some sort of like laborer at that time, you're making these stone and marble buildings, you're, you know, making other structures, you're working in the fields, you're a lumberjack, whatever, like, you're gonna get very dirty. Have you ever been camping? It's amazing how dirty you get where you're not surrounded by like, cement and stuff. Like if you're just in Mm -hmm. dirt, oh my god. In nature, you get so freaking dirty. So you'd imagine like you would want to clean this stuff off of you. And the closest thing you can get to that, especially in the wintertime, is a public bath that is like heated. You'll be like, 
I'll take it so I can get some of this yeah. filth off of me. So You're basically trading like dirt and grime for like disgusting people's oils. Exactly. Which one's better? Which one's better? Yeah, I mean, and at that time, everybody sort of stunk and that kind of thing. So you'd be like, well, I I, at least I stink less than, you know, Jimbo down the street. So <laughs> I can't. Ew. So going forward a little bit. There was, um, people would often use this, um, it's a natural perennial plant, and it's called soap wart. Oh. And it's, it, it makes these really pretty pink flowers, but you can take the flowers and leaves and actually the roots sometimes, and you can put them in a, uh, in a, in a thing of boiling hot water, and you get this sort of sudsy stuff that comes out of it. So, everybody always had some sort of a, a stove going in their house. Even in the summertime, you would fire up the stove when you needed to cook, right? Right. So you're not going to do it to warm the house, but you're going to do it to cook because that's the only way to do it. You would put a pot of um, water on top of it. Eventually it would boil. So you would put the soap wort in it, and it would make this sudsy stuff that was sort of like a light soap. And you could like okay. wash your hands and your face with it. It would it would get kind of sudsy and stuff. It was kind of cool. I've looked up like trying to find soap wort nowadays. It's actually yeah. not as common as I feel it should be. I feel like yeah. soap wort should be something that like is concentrated and we can use instead of like uh, sodium. What was it called? Uh, sodium laryl sulfate exactly yeah yes and and if you go to like certain places like you ask for stuff that is non-sls the non-sodium laryl sulfates oftentimes if it's non-sls it's some sort of other stupid thing where it's like it's Mm -hmm. not sodium laryl sulfate it's potassium laurel sulfate so yes. it's basically the same thing but we don't call it that so it's better for you but it's really not yeah. it's still like a crazy chemical that we've come up with that's what we use because it really suds up a lot makes us feel like we're cleaning ourselves and it does but it's a totally it's very bad for you i, I don't know if it's bad for you but it's a totally synthetic chemical where we're yeah. not using something natural, which like soap wort seems like a very uh, natural thing to use. And I don't see a lot about it, unfortunately. Like you can find yeah. like certain kind of like natural soaps out there that have a soap wort extract in it. But yes, I'm surprised that like you can't just get like solid soap wort extract. Like yeah. it would like totally because it's very sudsy if you put these soap wort flowers and leaves and roots in a boiling pot of water you get this sudsy stuff that starts to like come up with that and it's a very mild soap it's it's not going to dry out your skin actually in like romania to these days like they'll use it for people who are like very um susceptible to modern chemicals and stuff that dries out their skin they'll use this and it's a very mild soap that they can use to clean themselves but it also like preserves all your natural oils and stuff so I think like soap wort, if you wanted to start a business, making soap wort some sort of thing that you can use. So very interesting thing that I found here. Side note, they are very pretty flowers. They are. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just saw on like Wikipedia that there are, well, in like the, uh, the genus, the family, I don't know what, uh, the genus of these. Okay. There's a lot. Uh, 
there's like 20 different species of them. So, and they're all very pretty and they're all like purpley colored. And they're perennial. Some very so nice. Can, yeah. Yeah. They're perennial. You can plant them. You can just take the flowers and the leaves and they'll come back the next year. Um, you can actually dry them out, keep them in a jar, use them when you need them, you know, put them in a boiling pot of water, take the suds out, use them. It's definitely more inconvenient than modern day soap, but it's certainly um, a viable option if you want like very natural remedies. It's not going to give you brain cancer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say like a side note to that, um, which uh, take it with a grain of salt because I was seven years old. Kala, my best friend growing up, her yeah. mom had a brain tumor when we were kids. She had to have it operated on. Yes. And she has to go in every year and get checked and everything, but she's, she's good and fine. And it's wow. been 23 20 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I remember going to the store and it's always stuck with me. I remember going to the store with them one day and Kala like picked up a thing of shampoo and she was like sodium lauryl sulfate. That's what gave my mom brain cancer. Wow. Like, it is stuck with me to this day that I'm always like, that shit's bad. Again, Dude. I don't know how true that is, but for a seven year old to be able Dude. to like pull that off and be like, this shit is what the doctor said was bad. Has wow. stuck with me. That <laughs> like, is totally yeah. crazy. Yeah. You have no idea. That's like 1996. So yeah. far ahead of like anything. Wow. That's yeah. mind blowing. That she she like pulled it out and it has stuck with me ever since. And then I was like, I, and being seven years old, I don't yeah. even like. I'm shocked. I remember those three words, but they like stuck <laughs> in my brain. That I was like, oh, this shit's bad. And it's in every shampoo. And it again, is. who knows if that's actually true? And I don't for know. a while. And for a while, I was like, I bet she just like randomly pointed to anything. And then you start hearing all of these things about like how no, it's not really the best. Will it give you cancer? I don't know. But it's also not the greatest thing in the world. And so I'm like, oh, no, shit. Like, Kala was, Kala knew what the hell was up <laughs> at wow. seven years old. <laughs> seven years old, but in 1996. Like, yes. wow. Yeah. Holy cow. That's very so, interesting. So, uh -huh. I have a, so I have a shampoo in my bathroom right now that doesn't have sodium lauryl sulfate. But like I said, it's like potassium lauryl sulfate. It's basically the same. They just added another um, cation to it, and it's yeah. something different. I, I There's so many other things that add suds to you. Uh, yeah. Add suds to it. Like for my dish, my dishwashing fluid, like my dishwashing mm -hmm. soap. I try to use like natural plant surfactants and anything that I hmm. have. Um, and they suds up just fine. They work just fine. It lasts just as long. Smart. But it's not like super concentrated Dawn, right? Yeah. And let's be fair, Which like Dawn works the best. But I just wonder, like, is there something pretty close where you just may have to scrub a little bit? But it's still like dissolves grease, does all those things that Dawn does. Yeah. But it's not like some crazy chemical developed in a lab. It's just something a little more natural. So I try yeah. to get that with like my shampoos. But dude, Smart. it is hard to search there that is, out. There's one that I have that is like, it's no parabens, no sulfates, no whatever. And I mm -hmm. can't think of the name of it. It's okay. made by Ren something, something Ren. Shoot. I've know. had two of them. They're like, uh, the ones that I bought were like coconut milk or coconut water based. And they smell sure. incredible. Okay. And they work just great. And they're like 
five or ten. Wait, I think they might be ten bucks. I don't know. They're yeah. more expensive, but it's fine because I'm not going to have to pay a bunch of money in medical bills. But they're <laughs> like giant salon sized bottles. So they're not just like small things. Totally. And you can buy, you can find them at Target. So. Wow. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that people are sort of trying to get away from like the crazy chemicals. So just a side note here, <laughs> sort of any sort of physician kind of stuff. And you kind of, uh, a few episodes ago talked about bloodletting yep. and it really wasn't done by a physician. It was done by like a barber or some other weird yep. person. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'll just kind of go back into like, I was talking about how people in the summer would go into like streams or lakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at any time of the year, they would use soap wort and they would keep sort of bins and, and baths, like small baths. You could go into it, but mm-hmm. you could at least clean stuff. <laughs> um, sure. You would, uh, they would always have something in there. They would clean their hands, their face, sometimes their feet. It took until 1850 until doctors, physicians, actually kept this as like a medical practice. But there's a pretty interesting story, and this is where we get our modern idea of like physician offices being clean. There was a Hungarian doctor who was living in Austria at the time. His name was Ignaz Samovice, and um, he worked in a maternity clinic. And he actually, like, did these scientific method studies of, like, why are certain um, uh, babies and uh, mothers living longer and past childbirth than these other group of people? So he had, there was a, uh, uh, there was this maternity clinic that he had, and there was a group of physicians that would deliver the babies and there was a group of midwives that would deliver the babies and just real quick okay physicians had like all these tools and they would do these things and they would deliver all these babies all the time they weren't washing their hands midwives like they were delivering all these babies it was more of a traditional means they were washing their hands in the middle of like going from like one person to the other so there was a thing back then of like um maternal uh this maternal endant this maternal illness that people would develop some of the um babies would get it the mothers would get it even the physicians would get it they would get this weird illness and they would actually like sometimes die from it and there was like this crazy mortality rate for mothers and infants and even physicians on this one side of the university where the physicians were doing stuff and on yeah. the other side of the of the university where uh, midwives were taking care of all this shit. And the midwives had a better success rate of um, having child and mother and physicians live on past childbirth, right? So They're just thriving over they're there. thriving over there. So he had this idea like, well maybe it's something and he would do a scientific experiment and that didn't end up doing it. One of the things that he did is like the priests would go through these areas and they would ring a bell if someone died and um, as like a a prayer thing and whatnot and they would go Mm -hmm. through the maturity. Sometimes like a lot of bells would be ringing and he was like, this is like some psychological thing, like, and it's making all the other mothers die because they're so worried that they're going to happen. So oh, he like no. told the priest, like, dude, just don't ring the bell. 
and they didn't do it anymore but like the the mortality rate was still the same and he's like fuck so he so he he goes and he's like you know what i need like a vacation i'm gonna go like look at art and like just totally like (laughs) so sure he comes back one of his friends another physician like dies of this weird you know infant (laughs) this weird infant uh illness that's like happening and he's like what the fuck dude and he tries to figure it out you realize like the finally after like a couple years of doing this he realizes like the midwives are washing their hands between each thing and they're not really using any instruments and stuff and he's like huh so every time someone dies our physicians are doing autopsies on these people and stuff and we're just like going from that over to like delivering another baby and he's oh like, my god! And they had no idea. <laughs> and it's it's funny to us because we have an idea of germs only because someone told us that they exist and yeah. they saw it in a microscope. They had no idea that this stuff existed, sure. right? So it's fun. It, it, it's easy to be like think of these people as like funny and stupid and stuff, but they yeah, just like had these idiots. they just had no idea, right? So this guy yeah. realizes like, wait a minute. We're going into these cadavers, oh. and then we're going on to the next person. Maybe there's some weird cadaverous substance that sticks to us, and then we go to the other yeah. person. So what we're going to do is we're going to wash our hands with soap, and we're also going to use this chlorine solution, which is what we use in pools and all kinds of stuff today. And he was mostly just like, this chlorine stuff... I don't know if it makes anything clean, but at least it takes away the odor of like cadaverous stuff. So that's yeah. why he went with that. And this cadaverous odor would be eliminated from hands and um, instruments. And then he could go on to delivering this. But Gross. his success rate was like 78%, like immediately turnover. And he's like, dude, that fucking found it like wash your hands and and um sanitize your instruments with chlorine and like this was 1850 it It took that long it's only been 150 years that we've understood this stuff so a couple of things so yeah it's like nowadays we can look back and be like dude gross but also knowing these things look back and think like Imagine giving birth and then being like, oh, no, this? Oh, no, this is just dead body on me. Don't worry. And then, like, pulling out your baby. Like, no thank you. Like, it's just so, like, it's one of those things that you're like, why wouldn't you even think of cleaning yourself? But it's like, because, of course, they didn't. Right. But um, the other thing is that I just listened to uh, a podcast about Typhoid Mary. Oh, yeah. And that was the biggest thing with her is they were like, wash your hands and she's like i don't gotta wash my hands and that's why she infected so many people is because she just like straight up wouldn't wash her hands and they were like bitch just wash your hands before you cook food and stuff and she was like no she's like this is ridiculous and it was i mean she was around in the late 1800s and it's like yeah because they did not think that was a thing that was like when they were first figuring out like you know what cooks should probably wash their hands before they touch stuff yeah and like doctors and stuff and it's like that wasn't that long ago yeah it was like less than 150 years ago that people were like 
you know what? I think we should be clean when we cut people open. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So have you heard about England and Queen Elizabeth I, where it is reported that she only took three baths in her entire lifetime? No! Okay, so I'm I'm glad that you hadn't heard that, because... I had heard that, and then I heard it was false, but I always sort of had that in my um, in my brain somewhere, and it has. She was she was the Virgin Queen, right? I think that was Queen Victoria, but I'm not no. okay. Then it was Queen Elizabeth no, Vic- the first. Victoria was married. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Queen okay. Elizabeth the first. Yeah. So it, it. Well, if she only took three baths her entire you can life, understand. that makes sense why she died a virgin. Yeah, if you're like that bitch stinks. So <laughs> no thanks. Find me another all of her, royalty. All of her cousins. Yeah, all of her cousins were like mm, hard pass. <laughs> yeah, cousins. <laughs> yeah, it was a little incestuous at that time, but hey, there was only so much nobility around, and they were like. We're not going to go to Eastern Europe. We're just going to stick with like these major nations that we know in Western Europe. So like, has to be from Spain. Has to be from England. Has to be from yeah. the Habsburgs in Austria. Like, it's just there's no way we can go outside of that. So very incestuous. But anyway, I had heard that Queen Elizabeth the First had only taken three baths in her life in her lifetime. Supposedly, that's not true. And I believe it's not true because um, there's several instances in historical documents where she said she took um, a couple baths a week. Um, And at that time, it was very common for nobility to have some sort of some sort of a tub or a bath in their in their quarters. Like they either had like a wooden bathtub that servants would come in and bring hot water into you'd sit in there bathe and then they would drain it and and whatnot or they had an actual like stone bath that they would have natural like a warm water going through yeah so it was very common at that point and this is like renaissance times of course or like even like late 1700s beyond the renaissance and stuff like even getting into like the industrial age so this is pretty common for this so it's really uh just sort of a stupid myth that queen elizabeth the first would have ever not have taken like regular baths yeah so sort of one of the things i read was like it was sort of a propagandist thing that was started from like her enemies in france and stuff that she was like yeah she's totally dirty and stuff but there's which was why she never married (laughs) but i don't know there was um several instances in historical documents of queen elizabeth the first not even allowing like stinky people to be like around her even if you came as like a diplomat or something and you stunk she would be like get that person out of her and there was actually like a lot of documented instances of her her nose like her abilities to like smell stuff as being like you know way um, more sophisticated than any sort of like other humans. So the so it's probably the opposite. It wasn't that she stunk and couldn't get a man. It was that all the men smelled, and she was like, "Get out!" I would I'm not marrying you. I would tend from my little bit of research that I did. I would tend to believe that instead of the 
sort of stupid idea that she only took three baths in her entire lifetime. (laughs) So the idea of like bathing in general seems to be like very regional. Some places Mm. would have continued to have a bathhouse after the Roman Empire because it's weird that if you already had this um, this structure, this mm-hmm. institution of public bathing, why, when the Roman Empire fell, why would that go away, right? Yeah. Because there wasn't really, like, much change after the Roman Empire fell. Like, these institutions still lasted. It was just that it was under a different ruler. So I, I don't think that there was much of a change after that. Um, the only thing that kind of gives any sort of weight to that sort of idea is that in some instances the catholic church was against the idea of public bathing but for my research it was more due to like the public baths in those regions were associated with body houses which would consider we would call brothel houses today okay so you would go take a bath there were bath attendants it would give you perfume and and rub you down and stuff and maybe ended up with like a happy ending if you know what i mean so that was sort of like forbade by the church obviously so it's possible that in some regions the church is like these baths are no good they need to be closed down and they actually were so you had to find other means of like cleansing yourself there just wasn't like public baths available okay yeah we don't really know how clean public baths were. What's interesting is in the Renaissance, which we consider like the age of like modern science, the Enlightenment is what we also call that age mm-hmm. instead of the um, instead of the Renaissance. What's interesting is like right before the Renaissance sort of took off, there was a giant plague what we call is like okay. the black death or the black plague yes yes that was around like 1350 ad it wiped out like a tremendous amount of the population in western and eastern europe into even like eurasia and stuff um as far as we know like east asia was pretty much okay with that but what we think is like at that time there was a lot more ships that had found the pathway over to east asia and they were bringing back all these pestilences specifically from rats which had boarded ships over in east asia who right you know carried these diseases that people in east asia had dealt with for millennia but then they were brought back over in rats somehow that was transferred to humans which doesn't happen often but for some reason it did here and these germs infected all the people in Eastern and Southeastern Europe, and it just totally um, annihilated some of the populations, right? So as, as much as like 200, 250 million people died in that. And we're talking like of a yeah. total population in um, Europe and Eurasia at that time of like a billion people, like a quarter of the population yeah. had been wiped out from disease. Yeah, they used to do bloodletting to try and treat plague victims. Absolutely. That's not gonna work. Right, you're already like (laughs) puking your guts out, shitting your guts out, and then you're gonna like let out more of your hydration and blood in the form of bloodletting. Yeah, like that's really gonna work, but hey. Well, again, they had too much yellow bile and they were like, (laughs) and you have too much blood, so we gotta get this out of you. This is the last thing because you've been expelling all of these other things 
Clearly it's the blood. Clearly your body is trying to get rid of blood. We're just going to help. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, there's something to it, but it didn't work in that instance. <laughs> no. Something. Again, it's easy to shit on them nowadays. It but... really is. They had no idea what a germ even was. Like, they didn't have microscopes yeah. and stuff. Like, you have to give them some slack. Like, in 500 years, people will be like, what the hell were these people doing in the 21st century? They're so stupid. So we just don't know stuff that we don't know about. And going back to your, like, bloodletting thing, like, there is a modern-day idea of, like, people who donate blood a lot more than others are actually Hmm. healthier. And they're losing, like, a fifth of their blood at a time. They're giving a quart, and a normal human body has about four and a half to five quarts. They're giving like a a fifth of that away at a time, which is why they give you a cookie after you donate blood and stuff to to like build up your blood again. But like those people, it's weird. There's been some evidence that shows those people that give blood regularly are actually more healthy than the people like, it's my blood, bro. I'm not going to give it. Which is sort of where I fall into. I'm like, I don't like giving blood. I can't do it. Oh, no. (laughs) I would give blood. But every time I go, they're like, well, a couple years ago, I went to the doctor and they were like, you're borderline anemic. So (laughs) not great. I was like, cool, thanks. And then um, that was just at a checkup. I've had nobody tell me that for blood. But I went to go give blood once and they were like, we can't get to any of your veins. And I was like great they're like i don't know maybe it's just because you're dehydrated like right. we'll drink some water but then they also told me to like come without having eaten or drinking anything drinking that's not a word but so i went and then they were like yeah we can't get to any of your veins because like you're just not hydrated enough and i was like well i don't know what you want me to do then. <laughs> i can't drink anything and i can't donate so fine apparently i won't live as healthy and long as people other people wow Drink more water. I have to give blood once a week for my job. It's not giving blood. It's like a couple little vials to check that, like, um, I'm not exposed to, like, certain things. Yeah. And and I work out, and I'm fairly hydrated, and I'm, like, I'm giving you a lot to work with here. I tell that to the phlebotomist every time, and I'm, like, I'm giving you a lot to work with here. I don't like giving blood. Help me out. And they're generally very good. But I have, like, giant veins that are, like, on the top. So they're able to, like, take it. But I still don't, like, go and, like, donate blood. And maybe I should. But, like, I just... It's such a weird, like, fear of mine. I don't like blood. I can see someone else's blood all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, I used to be sort of an EMT. I was EMT trained at my last job. Mm -hmm. And so I saw other people's blood all the time. Does not bother me in the least. But if I see my blood leaving my body, it's like some weird, you know, ancient fear that I have. And it's like my life force leaving my body. It makes me nauseous and lightheaded. Like, I hate it. But I know. Do they have to get out, like, the smelling salts for you? Be like, wake up. (laughs) Because I never give, like, a quart of blood. I'm just giving, like, a couple vials. And I can handle that. I don't look at it, but I'm like totally okay with like just giving a couple vials. But ugh, it's it's pretty I, rough uh, for me. I have a friend who 
she's a nurse now, but she was in nursing school. And so she also did uh, a, like a course to become an EMT and she had to like be in the ambulance and all that stuff. She was like, yeah, it's great. And I have to do like IVs and dr- like draw blood and all this kind of stuff. And it never bothered her, but she was like, I can't actually get my blood drawn. She's like, I pass out every single time. Wow. Like, even just like the little vials, like she would pass out yeah. every single time. And she was like, they always have to get like the smelling salts out. <laughs> and she's like, yet I can take a needle and stab somebody with it. But if it happens to me, she's like, nope, I literally pass out. I was like, what? That is hilarious. That's exactly what I have. Where it's like, dude, I will like drain somebody fucking dry. I don't care. <laughs> what if I lose like a little vial? I'm like, oh, whoo. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I may have to go. Y'all are weak. (laughs) Only with ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's just like a stupid, like self love thing where it's like, I'm so important. (laughs) I can't possibly spare a vial. (laughs) See, my brain goes the opposite way where I'm like, I'm so important that somebody will be lucky to have my blood. Like, because I'm awesome. <laughs> you know, you're I've welcome. I actually... saved your life. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually gone to give blood, but I wonder if I would have that idea. I where it's either. like someone who gets my blood will be a superhero <laughs> after this. I gen- I genuinely don't have that thought because I also have not given blood. Oh um, no. Be- <laughs> But I can't. It's because the one time I went, they were like, we can't find your veins. And I'm like, great. <laughs> but I also was on Accutane and they had to pull blood from me All every time. I was too. Yeah. Yes. Regularly. And sometimes, sometimes they would struggle to find the veins, but sometimes they weren't, wouldn't. But also when I went to go donate, it was first thing in the morning. So like, of course I was dehydrated. I hadn't drank anything since the night before, but they told me not to drink anything. But then I've also, like I've also gone before to get my blood drawn and they were like, yeah, no, hydrate, have freaking water. And so I'm like, I don't know anymore. I get conflicting information from everyone that draws my blood. And I just don't know. I would like to help people. So just my own little thing here. I'm totally into lifting heavy stuff. But I think that's what it comes from. If you lifted heavy stuff, your yeah. your your veins would stick out more. Mine are not an issue if I like am able to drink water. Like Correct. I can always see my veins. You can always find them. Yeah. But when they tell you like not to drink anything and your appointment's at 7 a.m., you obviously have not drank anything since the night before. So yeah, your body is like, I'm dehydrated. Your veins have now hidden themselves. I have to give blood samples once a year. And I have never, ever, ever one time, even close to it, had to have a phlebotomist search for a vein. Yeah. Never. No matter. And I do it in the morning all the time. Yeah. We're talking like 730, 8 o'clock early in the morning. Well, you know what? I don't really mind not having giant disgusting veins popping out of my arms so like they can hide they can hide from the phlebotomist it's fine (laughs) it's really not anywhere except for right in the crook of my elbow there's a big okay side note yeah you have to give you have to give blood once a year or once a week because you said once a week you said once a week earlier and i was like no literally i was like the fuck wow (laughs) damn they're really concerned about what you are exposed (laughs) to (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I I don't work in like a nuclear facility. So no. literally, um, if I said once a week, like wow, I am way too drunk. I apologize. <laughs> it's once a year. <laughs> it was you said that, and it took me aback. I was like, what? Oh, like wow. I didn't know this. That is extreme like <laughs> yeah okay i apologize yeah i'm glad i cleared that up because then even... the second time you said once a year and i was like right, hold on <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to listen to this like wow not even once a month is what my brain goes yeah. to this is like yeah once a week i'm like giving blood <laughs> like like two quarts at a time like yeah i'm like a badass <laughs> when you were like yeah they just like take vials and i was like that's so much like because also your results don't come back immediately so i'm no. like how like you got weeks behind you're trying to figure it out you're exposed to shit for two more weeks before your lab results come back and, oh my yeah okay and you have no idea like how bad the clinic is where it works so yeah if it was once a week You'd basically like take four samples and finally see a doctor, and he's like, "Yeah, these like four samples you took. Sorry, like this is the first day I can see you, but yeah, you're fine. But make sure you come back next week and take those vials. Like everything looks red, so you're good. (laughs) Okay, continue teaching me about hygiene. Sorry. So enough about that. Um, So many side tangents. So we're going to go away from bathhouses and we're just going to go into like some of the other hygienic stuff of that age. Okay. So, cause, cause actually like the title of my thing is like bathing and high hygiene in general. Mm -hmm. So I hope I said that at the beginning. If I didn't, um, sorry. So the other thing was like deodorant. Mm-hmm. We have this idea nowadays, like you go and buy a right guard or degree or Old Spice because they have interesting commercials. So you want to buy Old Spice. <laughs> yes, they do. They're great. <laughs> for about 10 years now, like good for them. Like it's really cool. But um, deodorant back in the day, eh, not so much. It was pretty much like I said before, you were taking like floral flowers. Mm-hmm. People would make a wreath of them and you would just wear it around your neck or your waist Mm -hmm. and you're like i smell good so that kind of like continued for a while but we have um it's basically the same chemical that we use today that we put in antiperspirants um -hmm. if you don't know there's a difference between antiperspirant and deodorant yes there is i have no idea if like men know that women certainly know that although it is very hard for Hmm. women to find just a deodorant most yes, of what you guys find is antiperspirant. It is very, very mm-hmm. difficult to find just a deodorant. Yes. And antiperspirants contain aluminum, yes. which they are now thinking might be linked to breast cancer. Exactly. Uh, so try to find one that doesn't have it. Go to a natural one. Yeah. It's great. Use natural plant surfactants in your um, dishwashing soap and your laundry soap and your hand soap. Like, go ahead and try to find that and use it and there's nothing wrong with that but the idea of like well your body's just detoxing and that's actually what making you sick uh i have a hard time believing that i do too so yeah yeah back to the natural deodorants mm-hmm. that people are using a lot of times they were just using perfumes and it's mm-hmm. not anywhere close to like what we consider a perfume today like i said it was like a flower wreath that they would mm-hmm. use sometimes 
they would just take flowers and like rub them under their underarms or their areas because <laughs> there was lots of fragrant yeah. flowers back then of course even like today use deodorant or antiperspirant when it only lasts so long so that's how that would be uh, but they did use what we call alum today which is potassium aluminum sulfate great that's exactly what's in antiperspirant today great things. it's what they used back then and it's just a naturally occurring mineral it, it mm. looks like a, a crystal like quartz or anything else it's not obviously that hard or anything um okay. sometimes they would process it and turn it into like these blocks and they would call them alum blocks sometimes like even in india today but like obviously in like antiquity they would just take these crystals of alum and they would rub them under their arms and in their crotch and their buttocks area and they would use it as natural antiperspirant and it was a sort of work but it was very harsh it would burn sometimes sometimes it would eat through clothes so if you <laughs> if you actually got Jeez. an alum block it was a little bit better because it was a little bit processed sometimes um okay. fats and other things were added to it so it was a little bit diluted um and it actually kind of worked um you can actually buy alum blocks today on amazon and and other websites and whatnot alum blocks work pretty well and it's basically the same chemical as what's in antiperspirant today okay. so um it's kind of cool that there's like a natural thing back then um i will I will just say personally, I don't use any sort of antiperspirant. I just use deodorant. Yeah. It's a lot easier for men to find just deodorant. It's a lot harder for women to find just deodorant. Like yeah. super hard. Because you guys don't seem to want to sweat. But I will tell you, like, as a man who, like, does sweat more, goes to the gym and whatnot, if I use deodorant and I use it, you know, long enough, like, your body sort of adjusts. And yeah. you aren't as sweaty and smelly as normal. And you just use this deodorant that lasts a long time. Deodorant non-antiperspirant. Your body sort of adjusts to it. The natural deodorant, the perfumes and what that sort of hide any sort of offensive smells. And you don't sweat as much. So yeah, it works for me. I won't say it works for everybody. I'm not real sweaty and smelly. I don't know if it'll work for everybody, but it's worth a shot. You know, get away from the antiperspirants yeah. and the aluminum, which possibly cause breast cancer, especially yeah. in women, possibly even for men. Maybe mm -hmm. get away from that. That's just my own little spiel there. So that's all I got. Okay. Just an interesting delve into like bathing and hygiene in classical and somewhat near modern times um we're yeah. certainly lucky today that's all i will say okay your turn what do you have to teach me so and i'm sure you will know lots of this oh. but it's fine we'll see you teach me yeah okay mine is just titled uh crows because oh. I fucking love crows. They're so rad. Okay. I love them too, but yeah, teach me. Okay. So you'll probably know quite a bit, but anyway. Well, I like to say that I'm like mildly freaked out by birds, but I don't know if that's true. Cause when I think about it nowadays, I'm like, I don't think I am. Okay. I feel like I went through like a period where I was like, I don't know. I don't dislike birds, but I also don't trust them. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't really feel that way now. I'm kind of just like, yeah, birds, great. I'll throw them a French fry and they'll eat it and they'll be happy. So whatever. Most of the time they want nothing at all to do with you. So you don't need to be afraid of them. So crows and sort of ravens because like they kind of belong to the same family and everything. So it's like there's a little bit of crossover, but mainly I'm going to talk about crows. Okay. Are you going to talk about the crow? No, sadly. (laughs) All right. Because this entire episode we've been bringing things like full circle, I'm going to bring Kala back up. because Nice. I know, because she's a pivotal, she's like a very important person in my childhood. Yes. And even to this day, she's great. Excellent. So. um, She's single? Just kidding. uh, She's not. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. I know. In fairness, though, I'm pretty sure she has like the greatest boyfriend on earth, because that's like all I hear. So I'm like, good job. Good for her. Yeah. 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 So good for her. Yeah. I only want the best for her. She's great. She is pretty anyway. great. Her family's pretty great too. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. Good good people. So when I was little, my best friend Kala, that I've referred to several times in this podcast, and I we used to really like crows and ravens. Mm. And I think it was because they were like constantly at the parks where we played. And also they were just like really cool spooky birds and we were like weird ass spooky kids where we liked all of the weird, scary things. So I've always liked them since I was like six, seven years old. I've always thought that they were super cool. So sticking with like the spooky theme, um, a group of crows or ravens is called a murder because of course it is. So (laughs) what up, Vincent Price? (laughs) Are we on your level yet of creepiness? (laughs) We're getting there. The American crow is found in North America, but also Bermuda, which is like the ultimate spooky place, right? Right. (laughs) In a way, yes. Yes, so much spooky. So crows are actually smart enough to use tools to get food. And new Caledonian crows actually make and use tools. So not only can they like figure out how to use things, they can actually make tools. Uh And it's one of two species on the planet that can actually craft its own hooks in the wild. Wow. The other species is humans. So basically crows are like the smartest animals on the planet other than us. Wow. So examples of these tools include a captive crow using a cup to carry water over to a bowl of dry mash, shaping a piece of wood and then sticking it into a hole in a fence post to search for food and breaking off pieces of pine cone to drop on tree climbers near a nest. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. Um, they've done studies on crows where they test their understanding of water displacement, which I find so fascinating. And I've heard Whoa. this many, many times, but it's okay. always super cool. So it's basically based on a fable, but they've actually tested it and they can prove that crows can actually do this. So if there's a small amount of water in a beaker and they can't reach it with their beak, crows will go and find like little pebbles and drop pebbles in the water to bring the water level up until they can actually reach it. That and then is they're like, awesome. I can drink it. Wow. Because they're fascinating. Yes. They're the coolest things ever. Wow. Yeah. Did you know that? Have you heard that before? I hadn't heard the water displacement thing. Not at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. So just like humans, because again, they, they share like a lot of similarities to humans. It's interesting. But older crow siblings can actually help their parents raise newborns. We probably didn't have a big enough family that you were like forced to raise me because you're the oldest. I'm the youngest. I did but change diapers a lot. So just so for you know. Sure, I, 
I do believe that. Yeah. But you have those other families where there's like so many kids that they're just yes. like, ah, the older kids will take care of the younger kids. Right. It's basically gross. <laughs> Me and you are about seven years apart. Other families like mm-hmm. 10 years apart. And it's like, you're basically a parent at that point. So yeah. not quite to that level. I helped out, but that was about it. So they can take care of newborns and help out their parents. And crows are actually pretty social and they spend most of their lives living in pairs and they usually mate for life or yes. live in very like small family groups. Yes. Which is super cool. It's really cool. And because they live so closely, they sometimes receive like chick rearing help. So juvenile birds are often seen defending their parents' nests from predators. And according to one study, about 80% of American crow nests surveyed had help. Like, you know, they had help with the younger ones raising the babies. That was phrased poorly, but you get what I mean. Yeah. And some of those like juvenile crows will actually stay for over half of a decade in order to help out like raising the babies. Right. So they're super cool. In the winter months, crows will even congregate with hundreds or thousands to sleep together because they're just like, we're safe and we're warm and we're all together because they like being social, which is, I find interesting. You always see like multiple crows together, but you also kind of Like, at least, I think, maybe in pop culture or whatever, maybe because of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven or whatever, you kind of think of them as these, like, solitary creatures. Oh, I don't. I think a lot of time, I I always feel like they kind of do their own thing. Like, yes, a lot of them can kind of tend to be together in, like, a a shitty parking lot where they're eating (laughs) garbage. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I always, I I never think of them as, like, pack animals or whatever. But they really are. Interesting. Yeah. So... No, totally pack animals, and I'll just interrupt for a second. So, um, where you and Kala grew up, I worked there for the Park Service um, during the summers when I was in college, and I don't believe they were crows there. They were ravens, and they were Mm -hmm. actually larger ravens, like some of the largest ravens you'll find. Like These things were almost like two feet tall, like standing Mm -hmm. up, and they would get into the trash cans. Even though they had lids on them, they would find a way in. They were super smart. But they were super assholes because they're scavengers. They're just looking for anything that like smells. They will get into trash to like get oils off of paper plates and stuff. Like they don't care, and and they're really not trying to make a mess. But that's what they end up doing. Yeah. And they will show up in like droves of like tens and hundreds, and they will mess up dumpsters like <laughs> regularly. <laughs> and then at my other job, there was um, crows. This is in the Bay Area. No ravens, crows. So they were much smaller. But mm-hmm. um, these things were everywhere. And they will um, get bugs out of the grass. They will get stuff out of trash. They will find bugs in trees or whatever. Like they're just, if, they're, if there's a way to find food, they will figure it out. Like they're very smart. But these things were just overrunning. Um, I, I've worked on a university. <laughs> these things were overrunning the university like it was insane it was them and tree squirrels everywhere (laughs) (laughs) ah squirrels they're great though they are wonderful i love squirrels now because like i said they're pack animals kind of they are naturally close with each other when one dies they actually throw a funeral yeah the whole reason that they throw funerals they theorize it's uh, they haven't proven it or anything but Basically, when a crow dies, it will attract a mob of 100 
or more onlookers. Yes. So just shit tons. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen a hundred birds in one place together. Like that seems like uh, that seems overwhelming to me. Yeah. Apparently you guys don't have uh, swallows or starlings where you're at. So I thought we had starlings. I would think you would. Um, But generally, you don't really notice if there's a bunch when they're just like hanging out. But you notice if there's a whole bunch when... When they fly. Dude, when they're flocking and going after bugs in the air and stuff. It's like, it's amazing to see. But they're also in North America. They're an invasive, not indigenous, what's the other one? Derelict species, which is not from that area. So they cause problems. I I thought we had starlings because I remember sending you a video i thought and you were like oh yeah those are starlings because there were just a flock of them and i was like oh that makes sense but maybe that's not what they were but i even get starlings out here and they're not in the droves that like you find them back east and whatnot but they're still like a lot but for some reason they would only come through at like certain times of the year yeah yeah and i don't think they're migratory but maybe i just don't know enough about it i don't know anyway Okay, so they will attract, like, mobs of 100 or more crows, but the live crows pretty much, like, never touch the dead one. So they'll all flock around it, but they're like, oh, no, don't touch homeboy. Interesting. He's he's dead. Yeah. Uh, You don't want to touch him. But according to some, the whole reason that they gather around is because they want to learn what happened to the dead crow. Uh So they gather around, and they're like, how did he die? What did he do? What mistakes did he make so that we know what to avoid and what threats are out there? So it's all about survival. So it's less about being like, oh, we're going to throw, uh, you know, Jack a funeral. It's more like, what the fuck did Jack do? Because we got to make sure we don't do that. Right. Do you get what? into face recognition with some uh-huh. of these? Oh, okay. I sure do. So when you get into that, <laughs> I'll tell you story yeah go ahead okay okay (laughs) great yeah so so they've actually crows have actually caused blackouts in japan because again they are creeps so i feel i feel like um i know there's the movie called the birds and everything but i also feel like why has nobody done like a great creepy movie about crows like they throw funerals they cause blackouts like they remember phase like they're just they're absolute creeps so Mm -hmm. in the best way possible like it would be a perfect creepy omen to have this whole movie based around like crows just messing everything up like i don't know maybe there's a serial killer but like the crows cause a blackout and now you're screwed right wow like i don't know just like it it, it's so much there's so much that you could do with it anyway absolutely So basically, since the 1990s, their population has grown in Japan, like drastically. And apparently Japan is plentiful in garbage. Okay. Uh, This is, I did not know this. This is what I read on a random article. So don't at me because if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Again, we don't fact check anything. (laughs) It's half-assed history. (laughs) But basically, they're attracted to the garbage because that's what they are. But anyway, so the whole reason that they cause these blackouts is because crows will nest on electrical transformers and they will sometimes use wire hangers or cables as nest material and it will cause blackouts. Yeah. And according to Chubu Electric Company, crows are responsible for about 100 power failures per year in their facilities alone. 
Wow. So not not across all of Japan, just in Chubu Electric Facilities. Okay. So to counter this, the electric company actually started installing what they call love nests, which are uh, strategically placed and are created with non-conductive materials. So they're like, if you're going to live up here and build nests, like, here you go. We've done it for you. Just stay over here rather than building shit on our transformers. And then... As if they're not smart enough already, they actually have regional dialects. Mm-hmm. So, again, just like humans, depending on where the crow comes from, its dialect changes. And if a crow joins a new murder, they actually said flock, but I was like, I'm going to use the word murder because it's funner. So, yeah. if a crow, <laughs> it's way better. If a crow joins a new murder, they actually learn that flock's dialect by mimicking the calls of the dominant flock members. Okay. So they'll just figure it out. It's like me being from California and moving to the South. And if I all of a sudden listen to a bunch of people with Southern accents and was like, I'm going to start speaking like this. That's basically what they do. Yeah. So some crows can read traffic lights. Uh, oh my so, God. I don't believe it. No, they can. So the carrion crows in Japan have actually learned to take walnuts into intersections and place the shelled nut on the pavement and they will wait for a vehicle to smash it. But um, the crows can like fly down and pick up the nut because they've learned to wait until the light turns red before wow. flying down. Wow. And then when it turns green, they fly off. Like they know. They've wow. Figured it out because they are hella smart creatures. Wow. I feel like several more studies need to be done on that particular thing. I think they've done quite a few, actually, because that's not the first time I've heard it. Like, I've heard it multiple times that they're like, oh, these birds will drop nuts for cars to run over them and then figure out when to fly down. So I do actually think that one's true. Um, Uh, Wow, I would believe it. Um, So where I live, it's in the desert. And for some reason, where I live, they decided it would be a good idea to grow pistachio orchards. I will say, like, pistachios grow much better in arid climates. It makes a better nut, more flavor, whatnot. We ain't got enough water, so we shouldn't be doing it where we're at. It's very weird. But whatever, they're doing it. But um, they will actually pay people to um, go through and kill the ravens. We only have ravens here. We don't have crows. But they will kill them because what the ravens do is the pistachios have a very hard nut it takes like salt and a brine to like crack them open but mm-hmm. the ravens know there's something in there and what they'll do is they'll take the raven they'll take the pistachio in their beak and they'll bang it against a rock or something well around where these orchards are there ain't a lot of rocks right so the closest mm-hmm. thing that they find is the irrigation system and they'll bang it <laughs> They'll take the nut and bang it on the irrigation system, which like breaks the um, little watering nozzles and whatnot because they're just made out of plastic. So these things cause like ridiculous amounts of damage for these agricultural farmers and whatnot. And so they try to get rid of these things as much as they can because the ravens don't know any different. They know how to use tools, like you said. And that's, that's what they do is they'll try to use a tool to break this nut but it's plastic which is not as hard as the pistachio hole and they'll end up breaking stuff. yeah <laughs> oh they're the greatest creatures ever they that are bums me fun. out that they have to be killed i mean i get it but also it bums me out because they're just great 
Because, again, they are the things of horror movies. They actually hold grudges. Um, Ooh, yes, I do. Which we you kind of touched on earlier. So not only do they hold grudges, but obviously they remember your face. And so yes. they're like, this dude did me wrong. I'm going to get you back. Uh, th- there, there were actually university studies where they had done stuff like this. Did you yes. get into any yeah. of that? Okay. Uh, Kind of. So okay. I didn't go like super deep into it, but I did say like um, on the flip side of this, if you're super nice to them, they will oh. also remember you, of course, and mm. they will bring you gifts. So wow. there was like this study of this like little girl. I didn't write it down, but I remember reading it. It was like this little girl. I shouldn't say a study. It wasn't a study. This little girl had these crows that would show up and she would like leave, give them food and stuff. And they would just like show up randomly and bring her gifts. They would be like, we found this random thing. Of course, it's, like, always trash, but they would just show up and bring this, like, 10-year-old girl gifts because uh, they're weird, spooky birds, but they're also just, like, sweet, magical creatures that I love very much. And, and I will say this. When me and Kala were kids, I don't know why we decided we liked crows, but we did. Kala also came home one day with, like, a, a book about owls, and she was like, owls are fucking dope she was like look at all this stuff and we like flipped through and i was like owls are cool so i just think maybe she liked birds and so that's how i learned about them i don't know but basically we liked ravens and crows owls and and native american folklore are like always bad so it's amazing that she was like into those yeah she like really liked them for a while but it's probably because we are weird kids and she was like these suckers can turn their heads all around like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) we're weird kids it doesn't make any sense. My childhood was so strange when I think back on it. I was like, well, I was the weirdest kid in the world. Our poor parents were probably like, what do we do with this weird child? So anyway, but I will say it's like one of the things that we always said is because, again, we were seven years old and had crazy imaginations. But we would be like, that's my bird. And we would like come up with a random name for a bird and we'd be like that's my bird and he walks me home so anytime I walk home he's always there and he flies above me and just stays around and there were many nights when I walked home alone from Kala's house and so I would always be like the birds are walking me home or I would also think the bats above were walking me home I'd be like they're gonna keep me safe which is not probably not true (laughs) not at all but it's interesting that you had that reaction to bats as opposed to like (laughs) what normal people would have but that's okay you're weird if you don't remember when i was four years old edward scissorhands was my imaginary (laughs) boyfriend i was obsessed with him but i think that was not only when you were four it probably persisted into like junior high so No, you know what's so weird is I vividly remember, again, being at Kala's house and she put it on or it was on TV one time. And I remember like vividly being very scared of that movie. And I remember being like, why am I all of a sudden freaked out by this? That is interesting. He was my imaginary boyfriend when I was a kid. And I remember riding my bike around and being like, we're going to live in a mansion and we're going to have Doberman pinchers and nobody's going to bother us. Like, what a messed up four five-year-olds like what was but happening then that in my totally brain? changes when you watch it again like three years later it freaked me out for some weird reason i don't know why wow because i don't know i don't know wow my I... childhood is a thing for studies <laughs> <laughs> 
I rewatched uh, part of Edward Scissorhands just a couple months ago. And my son was watching it. He was like, this is weird, Dad. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. Nicole used to want to marry him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad somebody else can justify this because I've said it for so long. And I feel like so many people maybe think it's because I grew up in like the weird emo stage of high right. school where everyone loved him. And I was like, no, no, really. No. When I was like four years old, I was a right. freak. <laughs> there was no such thing as like an emo. Maybe in no. like some weird you know, dark alley thing in like New York city. There was like an idea of an emo, but no, (laughs) not in the California desert when you're four, (laughs) five, (laughs) never. Yeah. Four, five, six. Yeah, sure. And everyone's like, Oh yeah. Johnny Depp. And I was like, Oh no, I had no idea who Johnny Depp was. And I give a (laughs) shit about the actor. I was in love with (laughs) Edward Scissorhands, the weird, awkward dude, like made no, and I wanted to, if that's not the, epitome of my introvertness is that I wanted to live in his mansion alone with him and have Doberman pinchers that scared off anyone that came near us. So my love of freaks, my love of being an introvert and my love of mean dogs all showed up when I was like four years old. (laughs) Right. Let's not mention that your husband is some sort of like created robot thing. (laughs) So not actually with with any humans whatsoever. (laughs) Like, you know, um, whatever. (laughs) No, it will make me sad to think about He, he killed for poor Vincent price on accident. It's heartbreaking. He did. He He did. did. It's very sad. So again, we're just bringing it full circle because I don't know why I went on to this side tangent about um, Edward Scissorhands. But again, I mentioned Vincent Price earlier, so everything is coming back around. Just going off how (laughs) weird you were where you thought like bats and crows were walking you home. And he was like, you were like, this is fine. Like, this is totally (laughs) cool. Where everybody else would be like, what the fuck are all these bats and ravens doing around me? These things are freaky. And you're like, yeah. They're totally taking me home, making They're me safe. They're protecting me. Yeah, these <laughs> fucked up animals will definitely keep the demons and spirits away. I mean, yeah. Maybe I just... Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe if I just appease these evil animals, <laughs> the demons and spirits will be okay, and they'll leave me the fuck alone. I, you know, I don't know. I didn't think that way, but that's cool. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Maybe I thought, like... <laughs> Maybe ravens and bats were like the bad things and they weren't attacking me. So clearly I was fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different way of thinking. But yeah, I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Seriously, I'm so sorry for anyone that had to deal with me as a child because it was just like, what do we do with her? Who the hell knows? I don't know. Anyway. Enough said. Back to crows. Um. Again, they can hold grudges against people who do uh, them wrong. But not only that, but if other crows see that a specific bird, like if that crow is pissed off at somebody and they're like, this asshole, the other crows will be like, oh, that's a bad guy. And they will join in. Yes. Because again, they're like pack animals, which is fantastic. Yes. Which, (laughs) so I wipe tears from my eyes from laughing too hard. Um (laughs) (laughs) Which leads me to the fact that they will literally fight off predators by ganging up on them, uh, which, like, I had no idea, but they actually have a lot of other bird predators, like hawks 
and yes. owls will also like like to gang up on crows, which I didn't know, and I never uh, thought that because they're kind of the same size. So I was so like, hmm. I am gonna interject there. Okay. Um, owls Again, and, history, and so. raptors, you know, hawks and eagles and whatnot. Like they are almost exclusively solitary animals. Like maybe they'll be in a pair. If they're yes. lucky enough, they've got like an adolescent offspring who is with them, who they're training, who is just going to be around for a little bit and then it's going to go on and, and do its own thing. So maybe two, we're talking one, two, or three of those things. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's yeah, as yeah. big as their group is ever going to be. They're very solitary. Right. So they will do their own thing and they're kind of dicks and they will steal raven eggs or like raven babies okay but there's like a fuck ton of those things and not as much raven or or not as much raptors so what'll happen is and specifically owls which are nocturnal exclusively if you ever see an owl flying around in the daytime like something has gone wrong wrong yes and if the ravens see it, they're like, fuck this asshole. We're going to gang up on him. And like you say, like ravens are pack animals. So you get a complete huge pack chasing this one animal. And what they will do is um, one-on-one, the raptors and the owls are going to win. But yes. against a lot of them, the owls and the uh, hawks and eagles are just trying to get away. But the... Uh, ravens and the a crows. A murder, literally a murder, murder of crows. hate them <laughs> so much. They're like, we're going to track this dude down. And what they do is they don't let him land. They don't let him fight. They just continue to like harass him until he finally lands and he's totally out of like any energy and they'll kill him and eat him. Aww. So it's actually kind of it's cool I, that they're like you know all down for each other like, and then you're this wrong. back yeah yeah but hey man you're killing raptors those guys are cool so they are they are i do like that i have nothing and against I've, hawks or owls, and i've seen but... this personally several several times with an yeah. owl that came out and um oh. with several hawks where where i live so that would be hard for me to see yeah it is crazy yeah and see again that's another thing that i'm like i feel like i'm like i keep saying that i'm like i'm mildly afraid of birds but i really don't think that i am i think i was but i really don't think i am now and i've never had an issue with like giant birds like hawks eagles anything i think those are fascinating they're rad i have no issue with them I think it's mainly like smaller birds that I'm like, I just don't trust you because you fly over me and you want to poop on me. I think this has been my only issue with birds. <laughs> and I'm sure. not that worried about it anymore. So I'm like, I don't actually think I'm afraid of birds, but <laughs> well, it's just become a thing that I say. So I don't know. Uh, maybe there's an inherent fear of birds because um, birds are actually kind of assholes. Like even to each other, there's always a pecking order. If some Mm -hmm. other bird isn't like up to like the uh, genetic equivalent of everybody else, if there's any sort of like abnormalities, they're like, we need to pick on that thing until it dies. Yeah. And they'll even do it to their own offspring. If they can't, if they can't teach their own offspring to fly soon enough, to hunt soon enough, to be viable on its own, they'll just kill it. They won't yeah. even like let it like go out and do its own thing. They'll just like, yeah, you need to die. Yeah, so, you're weak. Yeah, and it really doesn't matter like what bird species it is. 
um, because I own chickens, you Mm -hmm. even see it in chickens. If there's a weak one, they all pick on it. And you don't notice that there's anything wrong with it, but they do. And Hmm. are absolute assholes. And and chickens are very like a pack animal too, much like crows and ravens and stuff. They don't ever want to be away from or are on their own. But yet, if there's a one that they don't like, they will harass the shit out of it. It's pretty sad. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because, like, okay, so you and Dave owned parakeets when we were kids. Oh, yeah. And I was never afraid of them. And I had a few friends growing up that had parakeets. Was yeah. never afraid of them. Yeah. Um, Kala, again, we'll just bring her back up. Uh-huh. Uh, she, so she's Native American, and her grandmother lived First Peoples. On there you go she's navajo and her grandma lived on like a little farm in new mexico Mm -hmm. um and she would give her like Kala's family uh birds to raise all the time so she had like a road runner she had a duck she had chickens everything and i grew up it was rad i grew up around all of these animals like she literally had a road runner like as a pet Wow. How weird is that? His name was Chow. One day he disappeared and we went door to door to try and find him. Aww. Um, I know it was a bummer, but it's like, so I grew up around all of these birds and then I don't know why, but like in my late teens, probably as, or maybe early twenties is when I was like, I don't know. I don't trust these birds. And they were just like <laughs> normal birds. Just like, like again, probably just like starlings <laughs> or, or just like whatever. I was just like, I don't trust them. these <laughs> shifty assholes, and it makes no sense because I grew up around all of them. It's like wow. my thing with Edward Scissorhands, where one day I was just like, I don't know, it scares me, and then it went away. <laughs> I'm like a dog that has like fear periods where I just all of a sudden become afraid of shit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't make any sense, but um, yeah, they can absolutely be. Com- complete assholes i definitely know that but ah good times (laughs) so anyways they have like bird predators like hawks and owls which is very sad because i like both of those creatures but whatever uh but also coyotes and raccoons are also predators oh raccoons yeah (sighs) which i love i love trash pandas too but which also Our cousins had a pet raccoon, and I was absolutely obsessed with that shit. I wanted one so bad. Right, I did too, until you realize, like, just a note for anybody who's like, I'm going to have a pet raccoon. It works for a couple years until, like, that thing gets, like, you know, breeding age or whatever, and it's like, screw humans, I don't care how tame I am, and it turns mean. There's even a movie about it. I think it's like a Disney movie with a, uh, a raccoon. It's like old. Know. It's like 50s, 60s. Like, I saw I it. Know. I know it exists. I don't know what it's called. I was not prepared for this, so I don't have any <laughs> idea what it's called. It's fair. It's yeah. Fair. But, like, it turns on the people, and they just have to, like, let it go. Like, that's what raccoons do, and that's exactly what our cousin's raccoon yeah. did. They had to let that, that thing go. Yeah. It, it's not It's not something that you can, like, domesticate. Like, just Mm-mm. stop trying. Yeah. Um, because what I was told, and I, again, I don't know how true this is or if I've concocted the story in my brain or whatever, because I was probably eight years old when I was told this, mm-hmm. um, is that it had scratched Jesse, our cousin, yes. and she ended up in the hospital because of it. Because oh, yeah. Blood poisoning. Like, yes, she got blood poisoning. And you yeah. could like, watch it literally like, inc- like the stream get, get to, her, to heart her heart or whatever. Yep. 
Yes. Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad I didn't it make totally that It totally happened. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yep. And it was like so sad to me because I was like, oh my gosh, I just wanted a raccoon. And yep. also Pocahontas had come out a couple years before. Me and Kala, <laughs> she had me a and raccoon. Kala loved that. Again, oh, me and wow. Kala loved that damn movie. And she had a <laughs> raccoon. And then Jesse had a raccoon. And I thought Jesse was like the coolest person <laughs> ever. And then I was like, oh my gosh. And she has a raccoon. So... I've talked a lot about how crows are very similar to humans, but unlike humans, my personal experience, uh, they can resist the urge for instant gratification. So they have like Hmm. excellent impulse control, which I feel like most humans do not. Wow. Not nowadays. No, no. Like, yes, if we really tried, we could, but if we're not thinking about it, we're just like, no, we want the gratification now. Yeah. They actually tested this by, uh, they've done like research on it, but they tested it by outstretching a hand with a treat in it. And then uh, they showed the crows another piece of food in the other hand a, like a little while later. And the birds were able to understand that like, oh, if they waited for a minute, that second option is actually a better option and they could swap, but they had to make sure that they waited. So they were like, oh, this one hand immediately has one piece of food. The second hand has two pieces of food. So I just have wow. to wait and I get two. Wow. Because they're so smart. And they figured out that like, oh, if we ate the first treat, we forfeited the second one. So they didn't mind sitting there and waiting for like the better snack, which I like fully cannot relate to because I'm just like, mm, snacks. Yes. Give them <laughs> to me now. Snacks. Weirdly enough, the lifespan, this, okay, no, this actually like blew my mind and it made zero sense to me. And I was like, hold on, this doesn't actually compute in my brain with everything that I've been taught about nature in general. But weirdly enough, the lifespan of the American crow can vary depending upon if they are in the wild or in captivity. Mm, right. So they live about seven or eight years in the wild. Okay. But in captivity, they can actually live way longer. Which surprised me because to me, I'm like, no, I feel like things are free and they're out there and they're living. Mm -mm. And in captivity, we like hold them hostage and it's always a smaller area and they can't live to their fullest extent and whatever. But it's not true for crows, at least. The oldest recorded wild American crow was about 16 years and four months, um, Mm -hmm. they guesstimate, when it was recaptured and then released during a band banding operation in new york i think that's supposed to say branding but i think whoever i copy and pasted this from did not write that correctly um there's so many like so much bad grammar and spelling nowadays like nobody edits anything (laughs) no one checks anything i know it's very bad horrible and also i copy and pasted shit so it's my fault um (laughs) i didn't even bother to rewrite half of this but anyways, a captive crow that they had in New York lived to actually be 59 years old. Wow. That's so old. So wow. apparently crows like thrive in captivity, which I would have not guessed because again, they're birds and I feel like they should be free to like fly around and all this shit. Right. But also I wonder what they mean about captivity because I've also heard of people keeping crows and ravens as pets yeah. and they like live in their rafters of their home and all this stuff. And they basically like fly around all day and then they come back and that's where their nest is and the people feed them. So I wonder what 
exactly captivity means. I don't know. I think for that one to last that long, it was probably like full captivity. Because I think just the uh, probability of like accidents happening would have taken that crow out like much sooner than that. Like maybe coyotes got to him sooner. So something, right? Hit by a car. I don't know. Um, And I'm sure like that crow wasn't as happy. No. But it lived for a long time. So yeah, trade-off. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to judge that. That's not my place. I'm not keeping crows, so I don't know. But the crows in Queensland uh, learned how to eat toxic cane toad without hurting themselves. So these birds have actually figured out how to eat a toxic animal without killing themselves. Basically, they learned to flip the toad on its back and then they would stab their uh the toad's necks and then be able to like eat their innards which aren't toxic so which is like absolutely disgusting but super cool that they were like you know what i really want to eat that toad i'm gonna figure out a way to do it (laughs) yeah the uh the backside of the toad makes me high but (laughs) the inside like it's just good food man so yeah wow it's great. They're smart. And then in addition to imitating other animals, because they can do that, they can actually also imitate humans. So you can actually teach a crow to speak English. And there are videos of it where you can teach, where like people have taught them to say like, hi and hello. So it's not only parrots, you can teach a damn crow how to talk, which is again, wild to me. I believe it. Um, um, I've seen those things. Uh, problem solve around trash yeah. cans and stuff. It is insane. They are the smartest things in the world, I swear. Uh, and then my only, my last little tiny tidbit is that the only place that crows are not found in the entire world is in Antarctica. So. Oh, interesting. That's it. They are everywhere else in the world. Wow. And they are one of the smartest if not the smartest creatures out there other than you know humans then that's just because i don't know we were designed to be a little bit smarter and yeah we are build things like cars and everything else yeah so if we were anything else out there i would think crows are probably they're they're up there they're they're quite high up there in intelligence of animals and i feel like they're often overlooked because people are just like oh they're gross creepy dirty trash can animals which right. is fair, but they're pretty cool. They are incredibly cool, and I have experience with crows and ravens. I'm not a mariner. I don't live in the sea, so I don't have like any experience with like dolphins, which they also say are like super intelligent, super smart. Right? I have no idea. I just have to take people's words for that. But um, certainly, crows and ravens are super smart. I've seen crows problem solve all sorts of things. Um, they'll eat whatever they have to. They'll forage in the grass for bugs, but they'll also find a way to like get into like locked trash cans. I mean, they are super smart. It's insane. Um, and then out here uh, in the desert, we have ravens. Uh, they're not mm-hmm. as big as the ones in Arizona where you grew, grew up. They're sort of a different subspecies. They're still way bigger than crows, but they're smaller than ravens and those things are super smart as i said like they learn how to break the pistachios open by destroying irrigation systems for pistachio orchards but um one of the other things i've seen 
and I'll just go into like this study that was done in Washington University like back in 2008 um, and I'll just real briefly do it but they would mess around with crows nests and the crows would remember who that person was and anytime that person walked outside they would mob that person and you know call everybody else and there would be this swarm of like crows like all pissed off but if they put a mask on and ironically what Mm -hmm. they use is like a rubber mask of dick cheney they would have all the different researchers do that and the crows would be like i don't know like who that is like whatever and it would be fine but it was literally the same person just wearing a mask which means they weren't going off of smell or any other indicators. They were seriously just going off of that person's face. So they recognize faces. Yes. Fair enough. So there's that study. So people always confuse ravens and crows. And I was one of them until just like a couple years ago. And I actually always had them flipped. I always thought crows were the big giant ones and ravens were the small ones. Not true. Not true. Ravens are giant. Crows are small. Is there any other distinguishing features or not really? Yes. So um, ravens usually travel in pairs, but crows are seen in larger groups. So crows are way bigger pack animals. And then uh, the tail of the birds, you can tell. So the crows is shaped like a fan. Mm -hmm. But uh, so it has like typically like two, like two giant feathers at the bottom kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of shaped like a W. Okay. Where um, a raven's is just shaped as like one giant wedge. And then their caws are a little bit different. So crows typically do like a cawing sound, but ravens produce like a low croaking sound. Yeah. And then I cannot find it, but I know I've read it before is their beaks are a little bit different. Yeah. And I swear it's ravens that hook down a little bit further. So like their top beak will actually like hook down a little bit, but I could be wrong about that. Cause again, it's been a couple years. Yeah. Um, gosh, I can't remember. There's actually, um, a blade, like a, a, a weapon and it's called mm-hmm. a crow's beak and yes. it does curve down quite a bit, but yeah. Okay. Ravens have bigger, curvier beaks related wow. to cro- relative okay. to crows. Okay. So yes. So that's okay. what it is. The ravens are longer, and I do think that, like, they they tend to, like, curve a bit more than a crow's. But, yeah, I don't know why I always got that mixed up, is that, like, I thought ravens were the smaller ones. I have no idea why. So, in downtown Tennessee, which is pretty crazy, um, mm-hmm. some of the trees, only in certain areas, have those blackbirds, and they're called grackles. And grackles are sort of in that same family of crows and ravens. I only remember them being in Austin. That's where I remember them being freaking everywhere. Yes, I forgot that was Austin, not that Tennessee. Was Austin, that was only Austin. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And grackles are pretty interesting. They're way smaller than anything else. Um, their tail feathers are vertical instead of like horizontal. Um, oh. And they have a crazy call and everything, but they're very smart. They're just smaller, but still in that fa- it's that same family. So, raptors yeah. are pretty neat. Uh, good old birds. Birds are neat. One of my favorite kind of animals. Yeah. Like I like big birds. I, I like the I guess the, the sticking with my theme of being a weird child. I like like the big scary ones. Like I like eagles. I like hawks. I like owls. I like ravens. Any little yeah. birds I like really don't give a shit about. Yeah. I don't really care. No, the big ones are cooler. 
Um, mm-hmm. Everybody likes those raptor kind of birds because yeah. they catch things and they're pretty neat. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was my spiel on crows, which... Awesome. They're super cool. Let's end this now before it drags on even longer. <laughs> All right. All right.